0: Listening to First Church Charlotte. That's First Church culture right there. All right, we are reading uh, Psalms 24. You, many of you, uh, knew where I was going when I announced my title. Psalms 24, verse number one: "The earth is the Lord's and its fullness." The world and those that dwell therein, for he, God, has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So, give us clean hands. Let's get started today and spend a little time together. Uh, Many of you are wondering... Uh, how I am going to preach short without people here to say amen. You've heard me say for years that whenever there isn't an amen, then I go longer. I want you to know (laughs) it's not looking good. (laughs) Uh, No, we're going to have a good time. So give us clean hands is a biblical image that refers to something that is true about our soul and our spirit. And that is the purifying effect that the presence of God has in our life, and how the mercy of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, uh, His great work of redemption has made us clean. I want to talk about it a little bit because this is the era, the unforgettable era of go wash your hands. Um, it seems like every year that ends with 20, we have some type of a plague somewhere. Seriously, uh, here's a fun fact for your listening pleasure. Uh, 1720, I don't have this in my notes, so I'm doing this by memory here. If I get something wrong, um, you can correct me in the comments online. Um, 1720 uh, was the last, I think it was the last outbreak of plague in Europe. I believe it was in Marseille. That was in 1720. Um, 1820 was uh, a large outbreak of uh, yellow fever in the United States and um, 1920 was the Spanish flu where worldwide nearly 100 million people died. No, I don't mean that to be lied. It's just, it's so, it's surreal. And here we are 2020, um, the era of the Corona virus. Who would have thought that it would happen this way, but of course there are other uh, events like this. It's not just on years that end with 20, but there does seem to be something suspiciously consistent about this. I don't ever remember uh, having a social distancing event in our churches, and yet this idea of being cleansed by the power and the presence of God is very real, real to us. I want to take you back to the tabernacle in uh, the Old Testament where the people are first through the gift of uh, covenant through father Abraham and the giving of the law to Moses at Sinai. They are not, they do, they, they now have a consistent manner in which to worship a consistent manner in which to, to serve the Lord and to worship the Lord. And this is given to them as a tabernacle plan. God is telling them how to make place. Watch this. How to make place for his presence in their midst. All of us all of us have to learn how to make place for the presence of God in our midst. Wherever you are at right now, whatever home, uh, whether you're in your own home or at a friend's home, uh, I know that there are some watch parties happening. I think that's fun. I'm jealous. I'd like to be there eating all your nachos. Uh, but uh, wherever you are, you have to make find a way to make place for the presence of God in your life. Now, through the work of Jesus Christ, it's much easier for us than it was for them. Uh, So they had this tabernacle plan, this system whereby they had place among them in their midst for the Shekinah, Glory of God. Now, you will, of course, think of the tabernacle plan. You will think of the, 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 the altar, the first place where offering was given, and you will then also think of a, a laver where the priests would wash. So, I'm reading in Exodus chapter number 30, at verse number 17, the Lord spoke unto Moses, and he said, make a laver of brass, and uh, his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come to the altar to minister to burn water, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout all generations. So, uh, real quick, to catch you up if you don't really know the tabernacle uh, plan first is the brazen altar. Um, it is a place of death. The brazen altar is a place, uh, it's not a pretty sight to behold. And upon that altar, there is truly untold thousands of sacrifices that are offered and burnt. And it is a place that would look exactly like you might imagine. Think of your charcoal grill at your house and how hard that is to clean. This First altar uh, is a, it's, it's not pretty, it's, it's a bloody place. It is a charred place. It is a smoky place. And yet its point, its symbolic lesson was to teach the people the consequences of sin and how sin had separated them from the purity of, of God. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I just want you to see the importance of it. But when the priesthood, having performed this rite of sacrifice, if they're going to go further into the tabernacle, if they're going to stand before the Lord, if they are even going to minister before the Lord in that uh, further into the tabernacle, even in the Holy of Holies, uh, they cannot simply walk from the place of death, in the place of smoke, and even. Uh, As grim as it sounds, a place of of bloody death. They cannot simply go from there into the presence of God. The truth is they are uh, covered with the result of that altar. Um, Their hands are smoky at best and bloody at worst. And so there's this altar uh, excuse me. There's this laver that has been constructed, and they they go there and they wash themselves in this in this brazen this this laver of brass, and so it was made from the mirrors of the egyptians they used polished brass at this time as mirrors and they had taken these and that the brass the brazen, brazen laver had two parts there was a circular brass bowl made of polished polished brass, so finely polished and honed that you literally could see a bit of your reflection in it, not as, not as well as we have in our mirror technology today, but fairly well for the time, uh, and then a place to stand where they could wash their feet and not stand in the mud of the water in their washing. Now, just to just to remind you, all of these images of the Old Testament tabernacle plan are fulfilled in... Jesus Christ in his life in his death in his resurrection he has become our sacrifice we could not cleanse ourselves; we could not cover our own sin but Jesus Christ became our perfect sacrifice and more he became the perfect altar. You can read all of this for a theological study in the book of Hebrews. He, he became literally a better altar, uh, a better laver. Better uh, and so when we're baptized and we take on his name in baptism, we literally symbolically celebrate what he has accomplished for us. Christ is now our laver. We are washed in Jesus Christ. Wherever you are, just say amen. Amen. See, that was good. Don't have to preach as long as I thought. Uh, Christ has fulfilled... Everything that needed to be fulfilled that we might host his presence. The separation necessary to save our mortal lives from his holiness has been corrected through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And so when we have uh, a repentance of sins, uh, that is in many ways shown to us in in a symbol, in an image uh, at the altar, when we're baptized um, in water That is a symbol again of the victory of Jesus Christ. We take on his name in baptism and we go down in his name. That is a symbol of the washing of this brazen laver. And when we become host to his presence, when we are filled with his spirit, that is fulfilled in the same manner as that high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and there be face to face with the presence of God. This is what Jesus Christ has accomplished for all of us. I have hope today, not because I suddenly became better, but through the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, if this process of uh, the labor and the cleansing, the symbolic cleansing, uh, teaches us something about the victory of Jesus Christ, it also teaches us something about our response To what Christ has done for us. The biblical word for this, uh, this is a real uh, religious sounding word, is sanctification. And sanctification has two parts to it. And I I want us all to understand this in this era of go wash your hands. And that is two parts to sanctification. A quick review sanctification is how people become set apart unto the Lord, Uh, how we become holy unto to the Lord, and uh, this is uh, biblically expressed as this Term sanctification. Let me let me read you a, a couple of scriptures here. First, I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Now, a seal is a sign of authenticity. And when in this time uh, someone wanted to write a letter, say a king or a, a, a general or an emperor wrote a letter, they had a seal that assured authenticity. So let me see say it this way in the, in the Nathan Joel version. Uh, there is an authenticity to the kingdom of God that is sealed like this. God knows who are his. Now this is interesting that Paul would write it this way because a lot of us fall into the habit of judging one another and we're deciding who is his and who is not as he is. You understand what I'm saying? We, we develop church cultures where what we're really doing is we're in the business of deciding who's saved and who's not saved. Uh, we're in the business of kind of viewing who's doing good and who's not doing good. Uh, that, just so you know, it's not the foundation of God. <laughs> uh, that may be the foundation of, of your church style. That may be the foundation of your personal um, uh, church culture, but that is not the foundation of God. The foundation of God is this, and it's sealed in this manner. God knows your heart. Think about that. This is the seal of authenticity that God has placed upon his church. God knows your heart. Sometimes we need to get out of the business of judging one another's heart and into the business of making our heart right before God, repenting of our sins, preparing our heart, inclining our spirit toward the things of God. Uh, So this is the foundation and it stands sure on this seal. The Lord knows them that are his now. The writer continues, "'Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity.'" But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. And so Paul writes to his son of the faith, Timothy, and he says, continuing, flee youthful lusts, follow righteousness, follow faith, charity, peace with them that call on the lord out of a pure heart this is is such a a, a great instructive passage of an elder minister writing to a, a young minister and expressing this foundation of the the fundamental issue of what it means to follow after god and that is to incline our hearts toward him to turn away from self to turn away from the lusts of the flesh and turn our hearts toward god sanctification is the process whereby we do exactly that we turn our hearts toward toward god let me read one more passage and then i'm going to uh, explain this a little bit more First Thessalonians 5, verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. The God of peace sanctifies you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. So, real quick, I want to give you understanding on sanctification because this is uh, one of the most confusing arenas of of, of serving the Lord that I have come across it is so easy to make an error here, and when we do that, we poison Christian community when we make an error of sanctification, what it is and what it can be and so I want you to understand that there are indeed two parts to sanctification in our in our individual uh, serving the Lord, walking with the Lord um, and the first one is. The largest, and that is what God has done for us. That is what we were incapable of doing for ourselves. This is how we came to be recipients of grace. Christ paid a debt we could not pay. Christ lived a life of perfection and righteousness that we could not live. And at Calvary, he did this value swap. He took our worthlessness and gave us instead his righteousness. I could never keep the law. He kept it for me. And at Calvary, he gave that to me. We call that salvation. We call that God's gift to us. We call it grace. We call it redemption. Salvation is the gift of God. It is not the accomplishment of the flesh. It is the gift of God. And then there is growth of the individual where over time our life begins to reflect the heart and the nature of God more than it did before. There's two different parts. There's what only God could do. Only he could accomplish. And there is what we can do in response to what he has done. Why is this difficult? Because it's, if you get the two different efforts of sanctification confused, you will begin to live as though your efforts has produced salvation. And this will not only twist and distort and your individual relationship with God and place the seed of pride and vanity within you, but it will become the death of whatever church culture you are a part of. I'm going to explain that to you. What are the errors uh, that we make in this in this issue of sanctification? First of all, we have to explain what only God can do, and then we have to explain what we actually can do and what we cannot do. Only God can forgive your sins. Now, you may need to apologize to somebody and they may forgive you. But only God can forgive your sins. And so our efforts do not produce mercy in our life. Only God can do that. Um, What then do our efforts do? Our efforts, we often in the church world call them works. Our works can be one of two things. They can be worship, a a form of, uh, we use worship to define our love for God, and most importantly, the expression and communication of our love to God. Our works can be worship, and our works can be witness. Let me give you some scripture. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. That is an act of worship. Love becomes an act of worship. It's not if you want to be saved, keep my commandments. <laughs> if you love me, keep my commandments. So our efforts cannot produce salvation, but they can be an act of worship, a communication, an expression of love to God. Secondly, our works can be witness. Let men see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father that is in heaven. So your efforts to mature in Christ, to turn away from the world, to turn away from the things of the world, and to know God and to serve God, they can be worship and they can be witness. They can be worship. They can be witness. What can they never be? They can never be a plan of salvation for your life. Salvation is the gift of God. Paul said it best. If we could produce salvation by our efforts, then Christ died in vain. There was no point to Calvary. We didn't need grace. We just needed the rules. But the rules were given to us to show us we could not keep them and instruct us to how much we need a savior. I'm so glad for the work of the cross here today. I'm so glad for mercy and grace in my life. And so what happens when we get sanctification wrong? Now remember our efforts, our our turning away from the world, our, our aligning our heart with God, they can't be a plan of salvation. That's God's accomplishment, not ours. What can they be? They can be worship. They can be witnessed. Now, when we make mistakes of, of, of this understanding, uh, there's two things that come, and they're both on opposite sides. They're like ditches on both sides of the road. Number one, if we misunderstand, we can produce legalism. Legalism is our plan to save ourselves. God owes me salvation. Look how stinking good I am. This is legalism. Uh, the other one is license, where it doesn't matter what I do because only thing that matters is Christ is good. You see, both errors, one of them is my efforts produce salvation, and there's a couple scriptures that are commonly misunderstood to back that up. Uh, the other of them is license, that what I do doesn't matter. I'll just live how I want to live. This is wrong, and to do this willingly is as though we crucified the Lord afresh. In other words, Christ was good, and his good goodness deserves no change in me. Both of these are errors. Both of them break down what our works can be. How does legalism break down our works? Remember, what can our works be? They can be worship and they can be witness. But when we make them part of salvation, we are taking away what? Worship from God for having done what only he can do and turning that worship to us. Look how good we are. That's what kills church cultures is when we're really, really pleased with ourselves. And we walk around like Lucifer saying, yeah, God's great, but have you seen me lately? I'm pretty cool too. This kills authentic church culture. Remember, what is the seal of authentic church culture? That's this, God knows your heart. God knows who's his and who is not his. And in the process of time, he will He will, uh, He will, destroy. D- He will distribute, shall we say. He will divide, shall we say, in his time and in his judgment. The second error is license. Nothing that I do matters. What does this destroy? If legalism destroys worship, what does license destroy? License destroys witness. What I do doesn't matter, so you live like the heathen. So why would the heathen serve God? They live better than you do. Both of these are errors of sanctification. We live in the error, era of go wash your hands. <laughs> and so this is what I want you to see. Only God could save our souls. Only God could wash our sins away. However, the manner in which we live can be a worship to him and it can be a witness of him. And so let me give you uh, various passages of scripture as I try to uh, wrap this up here here today. Uh, These two things, what God has done and what we do in response to what God has done is... Together, working to present us before God, one of them for salvation, one of them for worship and witness. One of these things, sanctification, this is God's part, is presenting us faultless before the throne of His glory with exceeding joy. The other, our part, is producing worship and witness in the earth. We must understand the kingdom of heaven because what you are invited to be a part of by the choice of your life is the kingdom. Of heaven, salvation is God's gift to you. And when you are saved, you are invited into a kingdom that lives by different values, different goals. You are invited to worship your God and witness of your God with your life. Are you begin, I hope you're beginning to see the difference here. If you think that, if you think that your efforts produce righteousness and the most common the most common uh, scripture that is 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 misquoted by legalists is Hebrews 12 and 14 follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the lord they say see if you don't do this that i say and this that i say you're going to hell because without holiness no man shall see the lord this is the favorite scripture of legalists and it is one of the most misquoted scriptures notice the Subject, what are we talking about here in this passage of Scripture where we're talking about these things? Follow peace with all men. The subject is getting along with others. The subject is dealing with others. What is the continuation of this getting along with everybody and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord? Let me point out to you, the problem is not seeing the Lord. Revelations chapter number 1 says... All of us will see him, even those who crucified him. Revelation chapter number one, we're all going to see him. The problem is not seeing the Lord. Even those who pierced him, uh, the first chapter of the book of Revelation says, even those who crucified are going to see him. That's not the problem. Here's the problem. If you don't live a life of worship and witness, no one's going to see him in your world. The point of without holiness, no man shall see the Lord is not that your holiness is going to save you. That's heresy. The point of it is if you don't have worship and witness in your life, nobody in your world is going to see the Lord. You see, they're not going to see him in you. Now at judgment, we're all going to see him. This is not about salvation. This is about witness and worship. But you can see how simple people use that scripture to terrify people and think, make them think that if you don't follow this uh, set of rules, uh, you won't be saved as though your accomplishment produces salvation. Let me give you some other scriptures here. Uh, Hebrews 10 and 10, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse number 30, but of him are Are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is what only God can do. Only God can produce salvation. Now if you get this mixed up and you think your works are part of your salvation, you're in legalism. If you say your works don't matter you're in the error of license. Let me tell you what you should do. Your life, you as a member of the body of Christ, as an invited manif- manifest member of the kingdom of heaven, has the opportunity to walk through your world as a worshiper and as a living witness to what God has done in your life. And so I grow in time. My life becomes better. My testimony becomes better. I become more like him, not as an act of fear, but an act of worship. I turn away from the things of this world, not as an act of fear. He's not chasing me with a hammer. If God wanted to chase you, I promise you, you would be caught very quickly. Uh, He's not trying to threaten you. He is inviting you in not not into a terror story, but into a love story. Calvary says you're saved and now you have a chance to be a part of the kingdom of God. Wherever you're at, whatever living you're in, uh, say amen. I heard you all over the city. Thank you very much. You are invited to be a manifest member of the kingdom of heaven. That means your life can be worship unto the Lord. That means your life can be witness unto the Lord. And you grow in worship and you grow in witness. First Timothy chapter 2 verse number 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Hebrews 12, 14. Uh, We already read that one. 2 Peter 3 and 18. But grow in grace. Did you see? Do you see? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. You see, when our lives are worship and witness, the subject is always on God and how good he is and what he has done for us and his great accomplishment. When our life is in the error of understanding and we turn to save ourselves through effort, we take the attention off how good God is and we put the attention on how good we are. Or we lose our witness by living as the heathen live. This process is twofold. There is what you could never do. And that's God's gift of salvation in your life. And then there's your invitation to be a worshiper. I want to speak for all our uh, brothers and sisters here at First Church. We are worshipers. We are worshipers. If we're not worshiping, we're not getting our part of spiritual growth right. We are not a part of the kingdom of God manifest here er on earth if we are not worshiping. So roll down your windows. Turn on your Christian music and bump your neighbor. Thank after you've washed your hands. (laughs) I want you to see we are invited to be worshipers. You want to know what church should feel like? Worship. We are worshiping what God has done. You know why I want less of this world? uh, So my worship is more honorable in the sight of God. I want my spirit not to be of this world. I am a worshiper. There's a bunch of junk in our society I don't want in my head. Why? Because I've been ordained to be a worshiper. The fall of Lucifer is when the worship that should be that way turned this way. And that's the Lucifer path for all of us. Take your eyes off what God has done and how good God is. And turn your eyes to how good you are and what you've done. No, no, no. That's not what we're going to do around here. We are worshipers. When the sun comes up, I'm going to praise him. In the middle of my work day, I'm going to worship him. In that time, I'm going to glorify him. When the sun goes down at dinner, I'm going to praise him. Why? Because at my best, I am a reflection of the goodness of God. Amen. Secondly, I am a witness. The reason why the church is here in the earth is because we are supposed to be making a difference here. A day is going to come when the Lord catches the church out of the earth. And there will be no more... No more uh, reason we won't be here. And so I want you to see that if the church is still here, it's because God has the doors of mercy and grace open to whosoever will. The only reason why the church is here is to be in the fields working. I know some people, they, they want to just get the church together and just us four and no more, and I like the church when it's small. I, uh, you guys have heard me say this before, but I've, I've, I've tried to quit worrying about large and small. I like the church healthy, <laughs> and healthy things grow, <laughs> um, you know, so I want you to see, I want you to see that um, th- this is... The church is here for a reason and we are invited to make a difference. You're invited to make a difference in your world and when you're doing it right that's happening through worship of God and witness uh, to your community. Both of these processes of what God can do and what we do in response to God are manifest in our lives. Let me let me end with this. Uh, marriage becomes the single most consistent Example shown to us in Scripture of church and the role of the body of Christ to uh, Christ the Bridegroom, and there's something that happens at in a marriage, and that is the moment where you you say "I do," and that "I do" that "I do" is supposed to be the highest covenant of your life. Um, you say things which, the truth be known, most people don't mean. <laughs> Lord, help us all to mean them. For better or for worse, but half of married people in America give up, and um, that's not for us to judge them. That's just the reality of being human. We're imperfect. We can only take so much, and you get the idea. But we say at that moment, for better or worse, take this person in good times and in bad. Take this person, and we say our eyes glowing. We say I do. At that moment, when you say I do, you become coven- you become covenantally bound to your spouse. You are truly bound to them by commitment, by consecration. But you will spend the rest of your life living those two words out. Think about that. You said them and now you live them. You said them in one second And you live them for every second of your life that you have left. I think that becomes a helpful illustration and example for what it means for us to to serve God with our life. In a moment of salvation, he forgave us our sins. Past, present, future. In a moment of salvation, he made our heart right. Remember, God doesn't live in time like we do. We are prisoners of time God created time in that moment Christ washes us and then we spend the rest of our life living in response to that commitment the I do took a second but every second after that you live that I do I do out and so sanctification in my life becomes my effort to live in response to what God has done. My effort to please him with my choices, my life. And so it is for all of us that we live this way. I want you to know that once you are sanctified, you are no longer the product of who you say you are. But you now are the product of who God says you are. Uh, Sanctification is not the process of me trying really hard to become something I'm really not. Sanctification is the process of living out what I have been made through Christ's gift. And Christ has a lot to say about you. The Bible has a lot to say about you. And in ending, I want to read some of the things the Bible has to say about you. Matthew 5. You are called to be a part of the light of the world. 5 and 14, John 1 and 12, you're called to be a child of God. John 15, 15, you're called to be a friend of Jesus Christ. John 15, 16, you are chosen and appointed by Christ to bear much fruit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, you're called to be a member of Christ's body. 2 Corinthians 5.18, you are called to be a member of reconciliation. Ephesians 4 and 24, you're called to be holy and righteous. Colossians 3 and 3, you are hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3 and 12, you are chosen and dearly beloved. 1 John 5 and 4, you're victorious. Romans 8 and 37, you are more than a conqueror. Philippians 3 and 20, you're a citizen of heaven. Romans 8 and 17, you are a joint heir with Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians three 16, you're a temple, a dwelling place of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, you are a new creation. So wherever you are, let's pray together right now. Bow your heads wherever you are. Uh, let's, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus... We're diversely spread all through the city right now, Lord Jesus. We live in unique times, but even so, we've gathered together. And all across our communities and neighborhoods, we're bowing our heads together. Lord Jesus, just as your priesthood was cleansed by a laver, before they would go into a place where your presence dwelled. We have been cleansed by the work of Calvary that we might host your presence. We spiritually have had our hearts washed. Spiritually, we've had our hands washed. And this act of salvation is so astonishing to us that in response to that, we've dedicated our our whole life to worship you and to witness of you, not just to give you our hearts, but to invite the people we know to also give you their hearts. Lord Jesus, this is the true work of the kingdom of God, to manifest who you are to a broken and a hurting world, to live in worship and to live in witness of what you have done, who you are, Lord, I'm praying for our church members all through the city. I'm praying through uh, their friends and the friends of our church and the acquaintances of our church. And praying you would be with us, Lord Jesus. I'm praying for our communities. I'm praying for our elderly, Lord Jesus, that they would be protected in this time. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for those who are currently sick, wherever they are in the world. I'm praying that the consequences of this infection would be lessened by your mercy. And I pray that you would, you would manifest your your power by bringing and returning these sick people to wellness. We ask for these things in the saving name of Jesus. We praise you. We bless you. We worship you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you all. Our worship team is going to lead us in worship one more time. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them.